I don't know if this is true for every industry out there, but I can tell you that oftentimes the motion picture industry feels like one big catch 22. And especially as it relates to trying to get your foot in the door somewhere so that somebody can, frankly, get exposure to your work so that they can see how good you are. How the heck are you supposed to do that? You go to the website for a production company and that production company, you immediately see the phrase that says, we do not accept unsolicited pitches or manuscripts or screenplays or unsolicited whatever. How the heck do you get past that? If that's a question that you have, today's episode is absolutely for you. I'm Jason Brubaker. I'm talking to you from sunny Southern California, and this is Filmmaking Stuff, where we share tips and tactics so that you can take action and make your movie now. Joining us to talk about, frankly, his roadmap for helping you break into the industry and have a career is a friend and a colleague, Scott Kirkpatrick. He's the executive vice president of co-productions and distribution for Nicely Entertainment. They're based in Los Angeles. They produce and distribute original television movies and scripted TV series. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that I really think, and you'll find this out if you Google Scott, he is one of the most understated dealmakers in Hollywood. One of the things that sets Scott apart as it relates to offering you advice on how to level up your career is Scott is absolutely pragmatic. And today we're going to talk about quite a few different things in terms of breaking into the industry, not the least of which is Scott's gold mine genres. And the funny thing is, Scott and I have been talking about his goldmine genres for years, the types of movies that always sell. And one example of this was back in the day, we used to talk about Christmas dog movies. So I guess my question for you, Scott, is there still a pretty good market for Christmas dog movies? Every, every year, yeah. Uh, it, it, it does. That's why, that's why I call them goldmine genres, because it's like they just... Every, everybody loves to talk about all the things that are changing, all the disruption, you know, like that's constant. That's that never goes away. There's always some new bright, shiny object over the horizon. But if you are trying to build a career, if you focus on the things that year in, year out, good economies, bad economies kind of stay pretty much the same, you can build a career out of it. So, yeah, there there there's still an interest. 2022, there was 172 Christmas movies, um, and that is 172 slots with an allocated buying budget from a studio or a broadcaster where they are going to actively open their bank account to pay other people money to produce films. So if you're going to write a script, to write a script that's in need, you got a better chance of uh, that first opportunity clicking. So you talk a lot about like indie Hollywood versus studio Hollywood. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's everybody looks at the major studios as where media comes from. And it's like they produce a drop in the bucket in terms of content when you compare it to independent studios, whether it's independent mini major studios, whether it's very small production companies the vast majority of media content is produced outside the studio system. You know, just as the, you know, we focus on Fortune 500 companies in the stock market, but the truth is most Americans work for small businesses. Like it's, it's sort of that idea that we think of the big giants all the time, 
But um, the truth is most of the action is actually happening outside of that. It's just not as well marketed and it's just not as big and sexy, but there's way more opportunities if you're starting it. Yeah, and I always think that's interesting, right? Well, and, you know, we've talked about that extensively in, in some of our conversations and even other podcasts. But, you know, going back to, to my earlier um, joke about the Christmas dog movies, I can't tell you in, in the years since knowing you and other people working in the industry that can actually help people get work, especially writing work. I can't tell you how many up and coming writers I spoke with have said, hey, if you have uh, something like this in these goldmine genres, I know some people I can help you get that in front of. And you know how many people came back with the screenplay um, outside of their initial enthusiasm? Probably do, Scott, because I don't think I brought you anything ever. No, we've, we've known each other for over 10 years and I don't think you've ever brought me anything. So that's a pretty good educator. That I ask people and they don't deliver. And, and so why do you think that is? Look, I think, um, when you approach getting into the movie business, you sort of think of it like glamorous film festivals, important cinematic achievements, um, you think of it in this, this level of like, I have to make serious movies. I have to make, um, you know, really important uh, uh, stories about something. And you dismiss the common stuff. You dismiss the um, bread and butter kind of films that actually drive the industry. It's, it's really easy to sort of step back and want to sort of go out there and be, you know, have a lightning bolt of inspiration of an idea you know, at three o'clock in the morning, write it in two days and then just like sell it to a studio for $10. And then for the rest of your career, just be a genius creative. And that's sort of the fantasy a lot of people have about how the business works. Uh, and the truth is, it's like, no, it's, it's a really hard ass grind. And uh, there's a lot of people who want in and it's a super competitive business. And the stuff that people often fantasize about writing is not the stuff people want to watch. It's not me, It's not like some evil studio executive or, or, or media executive like myself, who's sitting the business. Like we only get movies funded if somebody's willing to like write the check to, and the only reason they're writing the check to pay for it and invest in it is because like, there's an actual audience on the other side that wants to see it. So it's, it's, it's not sexy. It is. You're not going to get like attention at a, a, a party like saying, yeah, you know, I'm working on some Christmas dog movies right now or or I'm really, you know, entrenched in this uh, a girl tween film where she, you know, uh, uh, is connecting with this horse that other people overlooked. It's like that does not like raise eyebrows of super attention because frankly, it seems kind of like dull. But if you want to build a career like those are actual foundations, cornerstones that entire, you know, hundred million dollar businesses have been built upon franchises, um, you know, many major studios, uh, you know, many of the companies that I have worked for, the, the amount of revenue that got brought in on those kinds of titles is stunning. And then you get these quote important movies that like, don't even, don't even leave a dent. Like the, the revenue that comes in is, is minimal at best. And so it's, it's really where are eyeballs? What do people actually want to watch and what people sometimes envision that they're going to create versus 
where an audience expects media content to be can sometimes be quite different. Well, you brought up something earlier in the conversation too about this being a grind and being really hard. But one of the things that, you know, the reason we're talking is because you came up with a recipe that you've been sharing uh, through your book, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, you know, part of that recipe is writing for these goldmine uh, genres. But one of the interesting things about going this path that you lay out is the idea that, hey, you think the, you know, the barrier to entry is really high. That's our perception of Hollywood and this kind of stuff. But if you go down the path of writing these goldmine genres, I mean, there, there's circumstances where you can actually get access to people that want to read your work. And oftentimes you don't even have to be represented by an agent or a manager. I mean, that to me, that's mind blowing. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. We, barriers of entry. I mean, it, it, it's, it's essentially what I experienced when I was first starting out as, as you know, some know-it-all 20-year-old. And then like when, when I discovered the distribution side of things and that, you know, there's a very small number of people in the distribution world making all of the decisions, it was really illuminating for me. Um, but to your point, like the stuff that is in need that's being greenlit isn't necessarily the stuff that, you know, is the exciting stuff to write. It's these, these goldmine genres we're talking about. So if a writer who's starting in their career, um, if they just write the stuff that Hollywood needs, they've instantly put themselves in like the top 15% of screenwriters, meaning they've just surpassed the other 85% of people who just write stuff that the industry doesn't need. So you've already put yourself into a limited bucket. And if you take the time, nobody gets it right their first time. I'm not going to say nobody, but like, uh, uh, I'm going to say it's, it's, it's extraordinarily rare that somebody writes their first script and like they get a deal off of it. It usually takes a couple of rounds, usually takes some trial and error. You got to make mistakes. It's really hard to write 90 to hundred pages. It's really hard. And to actually revise it properly and be objective about it. And then to do it again on a new project that takes a lot of work. So you do have to build the skills to actually be willing to do the output, to have the discipline to write every day, to work on your projects and sort of build a writing portfolio. But if you focus on that, if you build a portfolio of stuff that's actually in need, if you build a portfolio of stuff the industry desires, you will like dramatically put yourself head over heels above the competition. And you've really greatly reduced what those barriers of entry are. And to your point, there's such a need for it. Nobody, you, you don't need an agent to get there. Just the fact that you're writing those kinds of scripts is enough to get you a meeting or a conversation or a, a, you know, a pitch opportunity. Just writing that kind of stuff and having enough volume to showcase that like you're the real deal and you're not just like a one hit wonder. Again, that's enough to get you there without the manager, without all the help and without all the people who are going to fee you to death when you actually get paid for your work. You know, I mentioned again at the beginning, you and I spoke a few weeks back uh, where you where you laid out exactly what that portfolio looks like. But could you repeat that here? Yeah, it's it's I, I, I think minimum if you're going to go out professionally, you need to have two, ideally three completed uh, production ready screenplays. And I think you need a list of five, ideally 10 
ready to go kind of log lines. Like they don't have to be fully treatmented out, but I would say log lines of, you know, a sentence or two, and ideally a one page to kind of support that. And a one page literally just being a page of text that's a short summary of the movie. So it, it is a lot, but if you, if you start like today, just writing a little bit, a couple hundred words, just getting an idea out a day, you know, a simple one, you start to build that. And then, you know, once you have about five, 10 of those, you pick one and you, you, you work on that as your first script. And then once you've gotten that script to a point of completion, you put it to the side, you pick a new idea and you kind of start writing that one. And until you, and then, and you keep doing that and look, yes, you will get to like having four scripts. Does that mean you should send out all four scripts? No, like keep it at two or three that you are ready to showcase to people. So you can constantly be reshuffling your sort of arsenal, but yeah, two to three scripts and five to 10 ready to go ideas that, and, and within the same realm of genre, that's a critical thing. Like it, it doesn't have to all be. Christmas romances with a dog. It can just be romances, some of which are Christmas and others are like, you know, out in some resort someplace. It can be um, women in peril thrillers and it can also be like, you know, uh, uh, we'll call them like cozy mysteries, let's say, which is also kind of a different delineation of thriller, but it's like it's female led. It deals with a little bit like darker subject matter. It's like it's sort of a bucket of genre style. And the reason you need to do that is specifically because you'll get typecast as being able to do that kind of project. So when executives are sitting there twiddling their thumbs in a boardroom going, hey, we have five films we need this year. We need two romances and three mysteries. Who are they going to think of to write those? And your goal is to be on the top of their mind. You don't need an agent to get there. Sometimes going direct to the source is easier. Um, and sometimes they'll reach out to you and say, Hey, can you give me three or four ideas on this specific type of movie? doesn't mean that your arsenal of work was wasted. Your arsenal of work is what gets you the foot in the door so that you are top of mind of the executives. Very rarely are you going to sell those original ideas. Not saying you can't repurpose them when these opportunities pop up where they're like, Hey, we need three or four ideas about X, Y, Z. You can certainly say, well, I have a script that's pretty close to that. I could tweak it a bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of how the industry works. You got to prove you can do it before they'll pay money to have you do. Well, let's talk about that part a little bit, because it's, it's really easy. I think for a listener to hear the words, Hey, you don't need an agent. You don't need a manager executives want to hear from you. You can make these pitches, but how, you know, how, how do I get your attention? What, what do I need to do on my end to make sure that I'm presenting myself in such a professional way. And let's assume that I've done the work. I have the three scripts. I have that list of ideas that you talked about. And I'm very um, honed in on one of the six goldmine genres that you point out. So I have that together. How do I get it? How do, how do I get it? How do I reach out to you? And, and you instantly believe uh, that I'm credible. So um, in this process of writing these scripts, uh, my assumption in that is that an individual will take the time to actually watch a lot of these types of movies, let's say. So if they're looking for a specific core goldmine genre, you know, they'll watch a few of those movies, get a feel of the style, the tone, the, the running time, the, the number of locations, 
the, the number of speaking roles on camera, all of those factors. In that process, you're going to see a lot of the same names pop up, especially in the circle of executive producers, um, producers themselves, uh, or the, the opening logos in terms of what company is producing, what company is distributing, et cetera. You do find a lot of good information there because it does really sort of like clue you in as to this is a person who actually makes decisions in this realm, or this is a company that seems to be associated a lot with the kind of stuff that I'm trying to get my foot in the door to, to write. Um, so that's one chunk. A second chunk is personal branding. This can be done with a website, um, you know, yourname.com or whatever. And, um, it's, it's a great calling card for yourself to showcase what you write and you can have your material or at least, you know, some of the loose items, um, available on the website. And that way it's, it's no longer unsolicited, um, material, right? Like it's, 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 it's out there. And if somebody chooses to click on it, like it's now accessible and you don't have to put the whole script up. You can put like your favorite. Let sample. me, let me unpack that, Scott, because I, I, I remember back in the day when I was sending out query letters and stuff, and then people were like, Hey, we don't accept anything unsolicited. You just, I think you just gave us a hack, a workaround. Can, can, can you unpack that? What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's talk about unsolicited and why it's there. Um, when a company's sending out a contract to you, it's not for your benefit. It's for theirs, right? To cover all their legal bases. By the way, all this stuff I'm saying, this is general. I'm not a lawyer. Don't take, this is like legal advice. I'm trying to just clue audiences in a bit in you, terms of like say, why this stuff. Is. You sound like me in, in our mastermind sessions at, at, uh, the filmmaking stuff HQ. You know, I'm, I'm continually saying the same statement to the point where I think people are, are starting to make fun of me when I say it, because they know what's coming. So yeah, uh, but that's, Scott's so, not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. Yeah, I know. But it's, it goes to show you like how one crazy person can oh. like make life hell for everybody, you know? Um, so the truth is like, I'm giving pretty informal overviews of how things function. And it takes one person to say, I, I did what you did, what you said to, even though they didn't follow it to T, let's say they just like take part of what they conveniently wanted to take. Anyway, you know, the deal, it's why companies say no to unsolicited material. They all have E&O insurance protecting the company errors and emissions. And so the responsibility of the company who is insured or the party that is insured is that they are doing their due diligence and making sure they're only associating with products uh, they have verified to be um, uh, uh, cleared, let's say. So if you have random parties sending you things, you cannot vouch. If you accept it, you are vouching that this person is legit. So if I copy paste somebody else's work, present it as my own, email it to a company and then they open it and then they say, Hey, this is good. And they produce it. And then a year later they get sued for theft, story theft. Um, their errors and omissions policy would not be valid for that title because they took something that was unsolicited. There's tons of loopholes and nuances in this and, and granular bits of information, of course, because it's legalities, but that's sort of why you have that barrier. 
but there's a major difference between like just sending somebody a link on LinkedIn or to an info at email address, like just sending them a link and saying, open my masterpiece. That's, that's unsolicited. But writing to them and saying, I'm so-and-so, I have scripts that are like this. Um, it would be fantastic if we could set up a conversation or if I could present some of my ideas, blah, blah, blah. That by, by the way, I'm going to use that as openers uh, for my next set of cold emails. So thank you for that. And, and I'm sure our listeners also thank you for that. Yeah. You got to write it in your own style, by the way. That's important. Yeah, I don't know. You know yeah. Fantastic. Sounds like a great word to use up. Correct. Well, I use it a lot. I have, I have a lot of sayings. I, I repeat, my wife tells me that all the time. Fantastic. Uh, it, it is one of them. Um, but no, it's like, it, it, that saying where it is, if you're writing, if, if you are a writer and you have the stuff you want to pitch, you know, it's, it's unsolicited. If you just send it, you know, if you just mail it, that's unsolicited. If you ask permission, may I send it? And the other party says, yes, you may, you can send it. Or they will say, yes, you may, but fill out the submission form first. You fill out the submission form and then you send it. That's a totally different type of exchange. And that is the barrier of entry of unsolicited work. It's for legal reasons, they don't want to receive stuff from people they don't know. So you have to showcase, hey, I'm a person you don't know. However, I'm trustworthy. And the more elements and reasons you can showcase that you're trustworthy. So having a good presence online, that means having a good, if you, if you choose to do a personal website, make it really professional looking and showcase who you are and what you do. If you, if you're utilizing social media, get really good at the habit of cleaning up your act and like only making sure that you're only talking about like media related stuff or create accounts with your name that are only media related or professional and you speak in a professional way and you talk about things in a professional way. It's, it's not a good idea to like be blasting out like really specific personal opinions because, uh, that doesn't exactly fulfill that view that, um, you are, are showcasing that you're a professional person who's there just to write scripts, you know, uh, that can be done. That's totally, your that, was, that was the most diplomatic way. Of yeah, describing. don't, don't say crazy shit and then expect <laughs> to be treated professionally. Like that's the point. And you're welcome to do it. Everyone has their, their freedom of, of, of speech, of course, but maybe do it with a different handle. That's what I'm suggesting. Uh, I mean, so really what I'm hearing is you're taking a professional approach to building a relationship. You're presenting with value. And you're not doing the crazy amateur stuff that so many people do. I mean, to this day, I still get emails every once in a while where somebody sends me a thousand page, whatever, whatever, expecting me to read it over a weekend because it's the greatest thing in existence of, you know, stories. Um, I get those too. Yeah. I assume you do. And you probably will after this conversation, a lot more of them. Uh, although hopefully with, with more grace and they use the word fantastic. I guess, you know, in a lot of cases, people's enthusiasm gets the best of them. They do a mass email blast of, I don't know what people say, but they say a lot of crazy stuff. In other words, don't do that. Look, spot on. And I think, um, I'll say it like this. I mean, if, if you're, if you're applying to jobs, you know, you have to write an original cover letter each time. If you're applying to colleges, you have to write original essays each time, or at least at least go through 
and tweak parts of it so it's catered towards the specific job you're going for or college you're going for. I'm not immune to this either. Like don't, don't for anyone listening, like don't think that like, just because I've been doing this for almost 20 years that like, I, I I'm like on a text message only basis of closing deals. It's like, no, the, the deals I go after the deals we create, we create them out of like messes. We look for, we look for problems that other companies are having, you know, broadcasters or whomever, when they're going after for a specific audience and they don't know how to reach it, or if they're, look, if they're stepping into a new sector and they're not sure from which company, you know, they should sort of build that relationship with to go into it together, that's where I come in. And my objective there is to pitch us as a company as to why we can solve their problems. If I did a blast email that was copy pasted in the same boring ass text, like nobody would sign with us. I wouldn't develop a rapport with anybody. Nobody would trust what I had to say. Nobody would believe that we're going to give them something unique and help their specific problem. I would just be a, 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 a noise in the background, another annoying email, another email with nothing to say. I get, I get 200 emails a day and those are actual emails, not like, you know, junk and all that kind of stuff. And so to whittle through all of that, you know, you really have to just focus on where's something that's like genuine here. Where's something in here that's actually going to help us get from A to B. So like, if you're going to be writing to anybody, like you don't want to spend all this time writing the script and then like, you know, ruin your chances by just doing a, a, a drag drop copy paste approach to everybody or BCCing a thousand email addresses and with your script attached, like you'll get it. You really, it's not going to go anywhere. You have to take the time and cater it. So we talked earlier, you know, if you're, if you're reviewing all of these films to like do market research, right? You see the same executive producer names on a series of films. You see the same logo of companies on a, on a, on a grouping of films. Those are the people you want to go after, right? You don't just blindly, you know, copy paste the same email to all of them. You cater it. You do a little bit of research on each person you're going after. Why are you writing to them? Why are you writing this for them? And those emails do stand out. It's called, you know, it's, it's blind email. We've all gotten those robo calls that are just like clearly somebody reading from a script and, and you hang up after two seconds, you can spot it a mile away. But when somebody genuinely calls upon us and, and, and we answer and, you know, it's, it's, they're speaking something that is actually important to us. We will give them, you know, a little bit of extra time to hear them out. And if what they're pitching sounds reasonable and actually could be helpful to the specific problem we're having, we'll, we'll pursue it. And if you follow those channels we talked about, about, you know, asking that permission about filling out the submission form and, and understanding, not, not seeing the unsolicited work or no unsolicited work is like, oh, they just don't want scripts from outsiders. There's a reason why it's there and it's to protect them from, you know, any outside litigious uh, uh, legal matters. So if, if you can understand that and work within that system, that is where you find your opportunities. Yeah. And again, it's not like no solicitation. It's don't send us our, you, you know, don't send us a screenplay without our permission. Correct. And all to get the permission, you just have to ask, but to ask, you have to explain why your script is important enough to, to go through the process of doing the submission form work. Like, that's the thing it's okay. 
at Nicely Entertainment, we produce Christmas romance films. We produce romance films. We produce a couple of thrillers. We produce family wholesome content. Uh, so if somebody is reaching out blindly with um, a horror script, right? And they just email the script. Well, we will delete it because we don't accept unsolicited materials or our E&O policy, for instance. If if they ask permission, hey, I have a script that's a horror script. Would you like to read it? I'll likely say no because it doesn't fit our mandate and it's not worth the time, one, to read for professional reasons because we're not going to make a movie about it right now. And two, uh, for the simple process of going through the whole arduous task of doing the submission form and then logging it and then putting it on tracker and da 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 da, da and all the stuff that companies do, by the way, because they have to track all that stuff. If it doesn't mesh, there's no reason. So it's not, it's not my dislike of the writer. It's not my dislike of the genre. And it's not that we're just, you know, evil Hollywood suits who just say no to, to people starting out. It's, it doesn't mesh. Now, if that exact same writer, that exact same person said, I have a script, it's a Christmas film about this, that, the other, it's very similar in style to films you've produced, but it's very different because it has this X, Y, Z difference to it, whatever then we might, it, it's suddenly worth the whole process of doing the submission for it and giving it a scan. Doesn't mean we'll buy it, but now we've made a connection with a writer who might have good ideas. And we may, if we like the style of the writing, you know, put them on a list of maybe we go to them and, and see if they have ideas once in a while. If we get, you know, an opportunity from a network or from a, a VOD platform for originals. So that's how the actual industry works. These aren't barriers to entry. They're just kind of guidelines. And I, I know I've made this analogy before, but it's like, if you want to go into architecture, like you have to understand gravity happens and there are building codes and, and, you know, municipal codes you have to work within. That's just how industries work. Scott, thinking about everything that we talked about today, I, I just, I have to use the word fantastic because just dispelling some of the, you know, malarkey around the word unsolicited, um, it was a revelation for me and I'm sure our listeners are going to love that part. But the other stuff, you know, just to bookend what we were talking about at the beginning, um, if you wouldn't mind, could you, could you once again repeat, you know, you mentioned the six core genres and you also mentioned that ideal portfolio. Yeah, look, and, and, and on that point, you know, is this is, I, I think, People think of writing as obviously a, a form of art. It's a form of creative expression. And the truth is it's, it's writing as a career. It's writing as a discipline. It's building that, you know, that core ability of yours to do what is needed, uh, but adding a splash of creativity that gives your work something of value that is not just the same old. And so that's why I go back to needing two, ideally three, completed scripts. And I think having five, ideally 10 ready to go ideas so that at a drop of a hat, when and somebody says, what do you have? You have not just one thing to show. You have a variety of things to show. You have a variety of, of projects to discuss that all hit the same kind of points or the same kind of genres that are in need. Uh, but shows enough diversity of, of story that, you know, you can show that, hey, this is a person who can just deliver and deliver and deliver time after time. And as far as what to write, 
the core consistent genres that just keep recurring over and over again uh, tend to be Christmas films. So that can be cr predominantly Christmas romances, but Christmas in general is a time period, two full months, when most broadcasters in most westernized countries uh, want content related to it. So that's a pretty big open field. A second one, if, you're, if you feel the temptation to do horror, do step back from horror, but you can do creature features. And these have all kinds of range. You know, it goes from, you know, classic monster movies to more nuanced sort of, you know, um, uh, 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 things that, you know, deal with diseases or deal with, you know, other kinds of threats to us, but they all revolve around some kind of a um, biological um, existing creature. Uh, there's tween girl romances. These are stories that, you know, focus on 11 to 14 year old girls who are just in that coming of the age who are having their first sort of early romantic encounters, usually in a middle school kind of environment. Um, and those have a really, really, really strong audience. If you want verification of that, like go to a public library and go walk the aisles of, of teen literature and just like be amazed at how many early chapter books are focused on that genre. Um, a fourth one would be female driven thrillers. So these are going to be the things you see on Lifetime. These are going to be, uh, these can be more premium elevated films that you see in theaters or on HBO, but you know, Lifetime is sort of the obvious example, but these have a wide variety of ranges. They can be very current. They can be very classical. They can even involve things like, you know, murder mystery type stories and, and whodunit solving crime kind of thing. So there, there's a lot of those, you know, that, that ranges from Lifetime to Nancy Drew kind of stuff. Uh, a fifth one is what I call the aging male comeback action hero film. Uh, and again, that's like, you can do those on a very small budget, but you can also do those as like major studio films. These are very, all of these genres are scalable. Like it's not just independent TV movies. I get that brand a lot because that's the industry I'm in. But like, these are all at, at, at all budget levels and from studios down to like micro budgeted film. But the aging male action hero film, you know, these are the ones where it's like, you know, some grizzled known action hero who's retired, uh, who's like living in a cabin in the woods and has like given up on that past way of life. Something happens and they have to go back into it and utilize all of these skills um, to go back and like uh, save the day. So whether these are like, you know, you know, uh, a Dolph Lundgren type film, a Liam Neeson type film, you know, any of those are sort of that classic style. Um, and then finally, the sixth one, I call it the young boy centric, uh, but family safe adventure film. So this is just like a classic family safe adventure movie, but it tends to be led by the young boy. And these are the kinds of things that are like very Goonies in style where it's like treasure hunting, um, but basically it, or spy kids. It's like, it's up to the kids, predominantly the, the leading boy to sort of like solve everything for the family. So you have the tween girl romance and you have the young boy adventure story. And then you have the female driven thriller. You have the family save Christmas. You have the creature feature. And then you have the aging male action film. And those are sort of the six core genres. If only there was a book that 
really had this information in great detail. If only that existed. It's a very funny segue. I like that. I, I was trying to think of some smooth way to, to pitch your book, but I, I really think, and I'll, I'll say something similar to what I've said before, the stuff that you're sharing is the stuff that I wish I knew 20 years ago. Yeah, I just did a, a, a third book and it's called Mastering the Pitch. In Mastering the Pitch, one of the, the really big things I emphasize a lot is that there's no right way to pitch. There's your way. There's your way to talk about yourself. There's your way to talk about your work. And it's really important to have your own unique voice. You just have to be professional in how you do it. You know, it's, it's just knowing these basic tangible things um, about how projects get made. That's going to help significantly. If you go the producing route, you can always produce your own script. But again, if you're building off of a script that is a core genre, you have a much higher probability of getting funding for it. You have a much higher probability of getting it sold. And you have a much bigger you know, potential of building a career as somebody who can make films uh, rather than going into a direction that is just not needed by the market. And to your point, I wrote those books because when I came out of film school, I was totally blind. And uh, this is all of the information I've gathered about how the real world of Hollywood works. And I think it's pretty accessible um, to people who are just getting their feet wet. I think the thing that's really fun about this is if you think about what you're saying, you're really saying, hey, do the work, find out who's buying the work, let them know that you have the work. And then that thing that you're talking about with the pitch, it, it's going to be authentic and natural anyway because you got the stuff that they're buying. I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. It is an industry at the end of the day. It is built off of the idea of return on investment. No studio, no channel is sinking money into projects just because they feel an artistic passion for it. They're doing it because they have a reason financially to do so, and they expect a financial result in return. So just understand that and just look at the industry for what it is asking for, focus on that, and you, you will instantly put yourself into like the top 15% of screenwriters, even though you haven't sold a script yet. Because at least now you're just in the pool of people who are like writing the stuff that Hollywood needs. That's a big, big, um, uh, you know, pivot that you can make and you can make it very easily. Where can we find you in social media? Not necessarily to pitch to you, but just to follow you. I'm definitely most active on LinkedIn. Uh, and I do use Twitter, which I guess is now X. So I'm there too. At, on Twitter or X, I don't know the new verbiage about how we're supposed to discuss that, but I'm at SK Distribution. And I often post about these core genres. And I often post about updates and changes to our industry in terms of how things are shifting more and more into the VOD space. Awesome. Thank you. That was some fantastic information. If you are lucky enough to have listened to this episode and you know somebody that might also benefit from this episode, feel free to share it. Um, if you're interested, we have a few openings to our movie producer mastermind. You can check that out by going to filmmakingstuffhq.com. It is an application process. Um, if, if you do get accepted, uh, I think you'll find it to be a really fantastic community and training that, frankly, shares the philosophy and the pragmatic approach to this industry that we talked about today. So with that said, head on over to Filmmaking Stuff HQ 
And as always, take action and make your movie now.